Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well. Yes, indeed we do. Very well. Oh, what's news? What's been happening? Oh, what? Just, the way the two of you always pause is to say, it's such I'm an unexpected question. I know. I, don't <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous. I know, but I'm thinking, what, when did we last speak? What has happened? That's exactly what I was talking. When did we last speak? Sunday. Last Sunday? Yeah. 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 It's been a busy week, but nothing that I would think would warrant a mention on here because, you know, nothing exciting. What about you guys? I reckon it's been super uneventful. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, there's like literally nothing exciting to report. I have lots of exciting things to look forward to. Yeah. So this feels like it's a little bit of I'm just getting stuff done. You're going to go on a concert, aren't you? Have you got something on? Oh, I do. I I haven't forgotten about that at all, but I was thinking more about going to Melbourne next week. But, yes, I'm going to see Harry Styles on Monday night and I'm Mm. really genuinely excited, so much so that I'm a bit fearful that I may be disappointed because I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be awesome. I don't think he will be disappointed. Everything I hear about Mr Styles is uh, he leaves them all on the aisles. Yeah, I hope it's really entertaining. In a 16-year-old girl? I don't know what it is, but I will share with you at some point. I might post it on Facebook over the weekend. But I lived in the UK when he was discovered. And I remember watching it on TV and thinking, oh, he's a cute kid. And mm. then really, you know, not having any interest and certainly having no interest in One Direction or whatever else. And it sort of, even I think his first album, I just had no interest at all. But then a couple of years ago, and I think it was about three years ago, he was on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. and he was both the... Um, musical guest and the the talent and he sang this song that I had kind of heard of and liked but he sang it with this arrangement and the backing and it had like someone on a trumpet and the backing scenes and it was so soulful it was like one of those things where in that instant I became a bit of a well fan and I thought oh my god he's incredible it totally changed the way I viewed him and from that point on I sort of started sort of I went I'd never had one of his you know CDs and that's why I went and got a little bit more interested so my poor boys being totally oh I don't know it's like I mean Harry Styles mode in the car where I'm practicing the songs and getting it up to speed with everything because it's not something I listen to all the time and they're like oh god could we just put the radio on so anyway we'll see <laughs> did, how I go did, did you say you bought a CD I know. Oh, yes, I, I still laughing. have CDs in my car. Where do and you I get still them do CDs. From? Um, I buy them on Amazon. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And or JB Hi-Fi. Brushes. Yes, I still have I still have a CD <laughs> player in my car. So I listen to albums old style from start to, to finish. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And on yeah. repeat. Because yeah. that's how you so over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 I just do so, that yeah. on Spotify. No, see, but I see, don't do any of that. I was talking about how Spotify has changed the way I listen to stuff just yeah. the, the other day because I don't do things on repeat because oh. it just sort of plays through and then it plays other things. It starts yes. to recommend other things mm. if you run out of a playlist or something. So I don't have that experience of listening to the same 12 songs this until is like I being know 13 every again, single darling. word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. totally like that. And in, uh, if I could, I'll bring the stack in next time to show you the CDs that I have in my car and basically every concert that I've been to, so whether it be Elton John or... 
red hot chili peppers or whatever it is. I have the CD, and so in the weeks leading up to it, I'll start to listen to it. I've got Guns and Roses, so we went to, that. and so that's how I do it. And then I've got my Oz Rock selection, which are like you know from the late eighties when I was, <laughs> you know, like Boom Crash Offer. Um, yeah. Then I've got you know Hall and Oates. Think it's really quite diverse, but well, probably not that diverse, but. When I put it on, there's probably about three or four songs I like on each CD, so I just go through them, and I just go through them, and I just go through them, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll begin say to the kids, "Can you change that CD for me?" Which is very old school. I appreciate. It. <laughs> I hate it. Anyway, never mind. Ah, it's, it's an education for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't yes. know what these old technologies no. were. What have you been up to, Schmidt? I have been entertaining my guests. So uh-huh. I, what did we do? We did a little bit of wedding setup earlier this week. And then we went up to Eldon. And so we've had a couple of lovely days up there. It was 36 up there and it's 38 where I am now. And that was, we sort of turned the sun on for them and the lake was spectacular. And weirdly, last night we had a tree frog on the boat. Never had a frog on the boat ever. And not even a normal frog, a tree frog. Yeah, I had to catch it and release it outside. Um, So it was cute. And so that's me, really. And boys, still nothing. Straight back to nothing. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, on that note, perhaps we should introduce ourselves. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are... Trial by Wine. wine. <laughs> and what are we drinking? Go on, Swanee. <laughs> I am, this is the lowest of the low, I think, for me. It is a soda stream bottle with cold water in it. It's not even carbonated. It's not even carbonated. Not even carbonated. Not even carbonated. Is that, is I just like, grabbed it as I ran upstairs. Is that like a buddy of... <gasps> Cold water. It is. Oh my god, it is. <laughs> <laughs> when I said the lowest of the low, I didn't realise I was really being low. You're drinking a buddy. Oh my god. Oh, nothing special, trust me. But anyway, ten kilos. I've only got another nine to go before next Thursday. <laughs> I'm on fire. I'm on fire. <laughs> Look, I'm even in my gym gear still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had. I'm too scared to get on the um, scale, so I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, but on that note, I am, as a result, drinking zero sugar creamy soda. Jesus. Boys, can you hold Here up we the, go. The, the bug? Ta-da. Oh, thank God. <laughs> We're having a, uh, a little classy Aldi number, mm. um, but it's a rosé from the Loire Valley. Nice. is mm. a nice rosé and also a nice part of the world. Indeed. Yes. We've been Excellent. there. Been to wineries there. All right. Well, who's got a story for us today? I do. Mm. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> uh, okay. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this story justice because it's in, it's rather complicated. Um, but how I happened upon it was a couple of years ago I saw um, a story, an article in an, a New York magazine, I think it's their sort of online um, division as such. It's called The Cut. So I know that mm-hmm. you've done stuff from The Cut mm, before. Yeah, so quite often I'll have stories pop up. And I remember when this one popped up. Uh, the most infamous, infamous of my stories was The Watcher, yes, which was from taken the from The yes. Cut. Yes. Yes. I, had, I know. I think we read the entire article. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, The Cut originally and then based on that um, article, which I think I saw in uh, 2019, I think, um, I noticed a couple of weeks ago it started to come back again. It was obviously because something was percolating and happening. So I have had my peepers peeled and I've been waiting for something to come out, which it has, so I've now been able to consume that. So my sources for this week's story are The Cut, ABC News, Australian ABC, 
People, Vanity Fair, The Guardian, and a documentary series which was launched, or series, that was launched last week, and it is called Stolen Youth. Mm. Anyway, so (laughs) I thought that the reason I wanted to choose to do this story was because I remember reading the article initially and thinking, what? I I don't really, what happened? Like... That's pretty bold claims and they're quite big claims, but there wasn't a lot of to go on, do you know what I mean? So it was sort of like I've always been quite intrigued but not really understood what the story was. So my mission that I gave myself was to try and distill what happened and make it a bit digestible. What I found was that the more I looked into it, the more things either were incredibly small, um, the minutiae of a situation or they were too top end. It's a really complicated story because it involved lots of people, I think. Where I've been quite fortunate, I think, is that a lot of it was filmed. We've got another one of these situations ah. where I just can't believe people film themselves doing these things. But anyway, they do. And then, of course, then you have first-hand accounts of what's actually gone on. So through seeing that, I think I've got a, probably a better picture of what went down versus if I was just sort of reading some of these articles. It was really watching that kind of stuff that you get a true sense of how evil this was. Ooh. So our story starts in 2010 in, I don't know if you call it upstate New York. I don't think you do. I think you just say it's above New York. It's just outside New York in or at a college called Sarah Lawrence College, which is a private university. And I remember when I first read the article, I was interested in it because I've, I've heard of Sarah Lawrence and it's famous. It's a liberal arts university and quite a few interesting people have been there through the years. And I did have my list and now I haven't got it in front of me. So let me just have a look and tell you some of the people that went there. But I looked it up on maps, as I like to do, to get a true sense of how far away it was from the city because I think in my mind I had it further away. And when I looked it up the other night, it said it was 32 minutes from like central Manhattan to Sarah and Lawrence College. And I just wasn't thinking that. Their notable alumni include J.J. Abrams, who you probably remember from, did he do Lost oh, originally yeah. and then went in to do like some scary movies? Is that him? No one's giving me much of Oh, you don't know it? Um, Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. Barbara Another Walters. Name. Oh, yeah, I know Barbara Walters. Got Carly it. Simon. Yep, yep. Yeah. Who else can I find? Oh, yeah. Actual famous people. Actual famous people. <laughs> Based on the fact that I don't know who the first one is, can't be really famous. Oh, I'm going to have to tell you who he is because you will know him. He was, really, he was really popular at one point. He ended up writing, directing Mission Impossible 3, Star oh, okay. Trek, those kind of like, you know, it's, it's directed stuff or stuff or Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So, he, you know, he had a little bit of a problem and it just sort of skyrocketed. I thought I saw Tia Leone the other day when I looked. Do you remember I, I saw, saw her in Sydney? No. <laughs> I, just, I saw her in a cafe. I'll tell you some other time. <laughs> oh, really? Is that bad? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so basically quite a, it's a lot of creative people, artists, writers, it's considered sort of the university that you go to where they, I read somewhere and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it said that they they don't believe in, you know, sitting exams and assessments in the sense that it's not about getting marks, it's about like getting an education in a way that's much more liberal and free and, you know, it attracts students who don't necessarily fit in elsewhere but don't necessarily want to. So some of them have come from a background where they may have been incredibly bright but they choose to go to Sarah Lawrence because it, it says we're different and you're different. You know, that's the whole identity of it. Of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In 2009, a group of kids, you know, started um, at Sarah Lawrence and during their first year at uni they became sort of thickest thieves and they had the most incredible year and there's 
in the documentary there's lots of footage of them just being you know uni students they were sort of probably 18 at the time because turning into sort of 19 20 year olds over that sort of period but you know they're some of them are stoners, but, you know, they love talking and they're up late night. They're really sort of, well, it's a little bit wanky, but, you know, those university students who are really discovering themselves and feeling freedom and yeah. I went away to uni and when I went away to uni I'd never had, and I was quite young still, I was only 17, all of a sudden my life totally changed because there were all of a sudden it felt like there were no rules, right? The only rules that you had were that you had to probably get to a lecture at a certain time. But and even if you weren't there, what was, so what? No one was really going to. No one cared. It was like a it huge was so crazy, right? It was just, where you were just yeah. watched all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think in that context, it would be important, and I I think it is really valuable for us to remember at the age that was you know we're, we're meeting these people in this story, and it's they are just out of home, just left their parents. A lot of them have travelled from they don't. It's in Yonkers where um, Sarah Lawrence actually is based, but it's. I don't know that anyone in these stories is actually from there. A couple of them are from New York State, but some of them are from like Texas and out of state as well. So a group of people coming together and, you know, finding who they were and who they wanted to be for the first time in their life. So they felt pretty fabulous and they were starting to feel like they were part of a group of kids that was sort of like a community. And I don't know that a lot of them had had that before or they were certainly feeling really excited by that. So, you know, mm. everything was a, a learning experience. Is this Melrose Place? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I wouldn't say that they were they weren't unattractive people. I don't mean that at all. But it was really not like that. These kids were quirky and you know right. more sort of intellectual and um, you know there was definitely an academic basis there. It wasn't it wasn't a scene in the sense that you would turn up and go there. I don't think if you didn't really want to get something out of it, you went there for the education that it was offering. We meet a girl called Talia Ray, and Talia and sort of her group of friends had gone through their first year and in the second year of the university, which I believe you call sophomore, which was in 2010, Talia's father, Larry Ray, was released from prison. So Talia kind of casually asked, maybe didn't ask, I don't even know, no one can really remember, but basically announced that her dad was coming to stay with them on campus at Sarah Lawrence. Is that what? weird? I think what that's the? weird. I think isn't that's it? weird. That's really what weird. I could never get my head around, and I could, so couldn't understand this until I saw the documentaries. I didn't understand how that would work from a dormitory point of view. You know, I live both on campus and off campus, and I'm someone's dad coming to say I don't. I couldn't get that around in my head. As it turned out, in that second year, they had gone to live in what was called Sloanham Woods Number Nine, and basically it was like nearly a little house. So imagine a campus. You've got you know your academic buildings whatever else and as the the campus played out the further you got away the more sort of housing opportunities there were and Sloanham Woods number nine was a little self-contained house where there was probably a series of another I don't know 20 houses but it housed a whole group of kids where they had their own individual bedrooms and a separate kitchen dining area kind of thing but it must have had its own door do you know what I mean it was a separate building so in Sloanham Wood number nine Talia was obviously there and then that's where Larry Ray her dad came to stay and he was sleeping on their sofa. I thought you were going to say something else. Okay. No. <laughs> that comes later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was quick. Mm. So, <laughs> he just... was sleeping on their third housemate. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder I if that's the thing where... I don't know what's going to come later. <laughs> no. But what would, I mean, what, what would you say? You know, they're supposed to be kind of free and easy, you know, it's all okay. No one really no. knew what to say. And Talia adored her father and said that he had been wrongly convicted and that, you know, he had been standing up for her and her little sister against 
um, their dreadful mother who had been mistreating them when they were younger. And it, it, But it gets a little bit confusing when you start to look at what Larry was in prison for and what he'd done before. But in this particular instance, he'd been in prison in New Jersey and he'd been incarcerated there for violating a child custody agreement. So I don't think that he'd been there for long particularly, but he moved straight out of prison and went to meet his daughter Talia, who they had this beautiful relationship, and he's moved into Sloanham Woods 9. You say in this particular occasion, was he a an in and outer? Not, no, not necessarily, but it was always sort of involved and in dicing around sort of situations with the law. Like just one of those characters who had, you know, I don't understand how some people, when you look back, there's all these little moments that they've done something wrong, but they haven't actually served time as such, you know, but he's yeah. always sort of very close to the, the heat. Right. So I, I will go into that a little bit later when we sort of talk more about Larry, but that's how he came to be at Sarah Lawrence. And at that point, and at no point actually, no one at Sarah Lawrence seems to know and certainly doesn't care. The kids who are living in the dorm are, you know, not sort of bothered necessarily one way or the other. I don't think they thought it was going to be for long. Talia was their friend. One of the guys that lived in the dorm with him was a guy called Santos. Santos was Talia's girlfriend, uh, sorry, boyfriend. <laughs> and so they were all just this gang. To give you an idea of another sort of idea about sort of Sarah Lawrence was a lot of it was talking about taking academic risks and trying to find the person who you really are and really want to be. So I think, you know, being the person that went, oh, I'm not really that comfortable with this and why is your dad <laughs> here? Yeah would be a bit odd. Would, and it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it felt like looking back when people were interviewed, 50-50 split where some were like, that's a bit odd, and some were like, oh, I didn't think it was odd at all. It was someone's dad. <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly why I would find it unusual. Oh, but, yeah. you know, you know, I'd be like, what? Can't you just, like, but get I a hotel also, room or do you have yeah, no one else? Look, it is weird, but also I think when you're 18, 19, 20, your relationship to your parents is much closer. You've been living with them more yeah. recently. Correct. So probably everyone is like, um, okay, it's a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a stretch, but not that big of a stretch, maybe. Yes. And he took on, it's a very interesting what you say, initially the role that he took on within the house was he Everyone's made himself dead. very useful, correct, oh, father right. figure. So he, tied, he the kitchen had never been cleaned. He oh. started cleaning the kitchen oh. up. You know, you can imagine, I, we've all lived, you know, yeah. shared housing all accommodation. It. We're all cleaned it up is after a dump. Yeah. My favourite um, memory of one of the floors that I lived on at uni was the fact that our ashtray was the fry pan because it was big enough and the fry pan was huge oh. and it was like a mound of cigarette butts. Oh, that is so We didn't disgusting. use it to cook it, obviously, but that was what this, that was, there was oh so much. Lord. Yeah, isn't that vile? Yeah, so, a fry pan. Yeah. <laughs> a big fry pan. Oh. Yeah. So all of a sudden there's a little bit of order in the sense that they're still relaxed, they're still able to do whatever they like, but Larry's in there cooking for them. Cleaning up the kitchen, Mm. you know, and then, you know, there was one girl who explained the fact that, you know, she'd come from, you know, very little money. They'd never really been to a grocery store where she could get what she wanted. And she had kept the receipt from the first time she ever went to the grocery store with Larry because he bought everything that he wanted to. And she was looking at something. He's like, you know, if you want it, grab it. She'd never had that happen to her. She didn't know that as an experience. So, you know, years later, she's got the receipt from that very first time that they ever went to a a grocery store. So he was kind of he was being generous in terms of being tidy and clean and feeding them and cooking for them and not really getting in the way as such but just sort of becoming part of this group and I think that they you know he wasn't saying oh don't smoke drugs don't do whatever they were still doing whatever they wanted but he was just giving them a little bit more of a parental kind of thing where they had a little bit of bit of help to get through the day when you know otherwise it was 
<laughs> and masses it off. Otherwise, it was a giant fry pan yeah. full of dairy butts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And then one day, and then one day, that's <laughs> exactly. it so sounds like it's lovely. all going a little too well. Yeah. Well, no, it starts to go a bit. It goes even better, apparently. So then, yeah. so they're about nineteen twenty. I said sort of in the second year, and then. It's at this point that he starts to talk to them about their potential and he starts to introduce ideas to them about, there's an actually, it's saying, it's called Quest for Potential. So I don't, I don't actually know that there was actually a slideshow, but there was a night he called a family or, you know, like a group meeting and they all came together and he basically said to them, and this is obviously in my words, not in theirs or mm. anybody else's, but you're at a point in your life where you're, you're moving away from your parents and the child you were and whatever else. So it's now this sort of idea that you need to deal with any trauma that you've got in your life to be able to realise your full potential, which I guess is okay and, you know, very top end. And so everyone thought, well, I guess that's that's fair. He seems really happy and a really well-adjusted guy. I kept thinking, yes, but he had come from prison, but no one ever seems to uh, <laughs> look back. They that, just yeah. thought this guy's got all the answers. And then... What happens is Wrongly he starts accused, to, of course. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It wasn't him, and he starts to sort of start saying to them, "Look, the reason I'm aware of this and I'm so knowledgeable is actually a lot to do with what I've been doing in the past. I've worked with the CIA. <laughs> Every time oh, I read these, we all go, yeah, people who worked at the CIA don't <laughs> never tell, tell anyone. Them. Well, yeah. they couldn't because everybody else who hasn't does. Never they all sign their official secret yeah. section, even if you've, well, I think oh. that's an English thing, but even if you've left, you still can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he just seemed so interesting to them. He had a story about everything. He, he'd been a CIA, he'd been a Marine. And what is interesting at this point is that we've got to remember these kids were not idiots. They were not stupid. They were... Open no, to maybe naive, not stupid, perhaps, but perhaps a little naive. bit. And, and yeah. some of them said at first they were sort of questioning, and there were some that remained questioning the whole time. But some of them were like, you know, well, it is our friend's dad. She's there. Yeah. She's saying it's yeah. true, and yeah. she believed it to be true as well. And well, he had he's photos. Been telling it wasn't he didn't have stories. photos. Oh god! So I mean, hang um, on, hang on. He's got photos of being in the CIA. That just gets worse. No, but he, but right. he, okay. one of the things was he'd said he'd rub shoulders with Mikhail Baryshnikov. Mikhail Baryshnikov. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> wrong. The ballet dancer. No, the ballet dancer. That, that's my background. Speak there. Gorbachev. Correct. And he had a photo of him. You know, he was in a photo with um, Mikhail Gorbachev. Did he see Baryshnikov as well though? He could have had both. <laughs> He couldn't do that, yeah. There was, he also had claims that he knew, and he did, uh, the New York mayor, Rudy Giuliani, which at one point may have seemed more uh, appealing than it probably does. Yeah, uh, just <laughs> later on. We all know that that, that, yeah. that one didn't age well. And there was a whole sort of series of things where he he was well connected. And if if mm. people, people Googled him and they were able to find images of him in, I wouldn't call it New York society, he was sort of attached to a New York that was, oh, I don't know. So one of the people that plays a role in this story is a guy that he was best man for at his wedding. And he was, I've got to get this right because I might say it's slightly incorrect, but he was like the police commissioner of New York. So mm-hmm. people who had important roles, I wouldn't say they were necessarily not high society, but important roles who had real pull and could make things happen. And do you know what I mean? They had real power. On, a, on, a, on that sort of level, not just about money and image, but, you know, the police force or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And he, he really what, he did have real connections with these people. So it was probably one of those things if you Googled him, you'd go, oh, well, I guess it's, yeah, there it is. 
But there was never a great deal of detail to any of this kind of stuff or what had happened before or how it worked. It was just another story after another story and he would bring up things sort of like, you know, if we're talking about healthy habits, well, when I was in the Marine, we did this, you know, you know, you need to be have a discipline, all these kind of things that would then, you know, looking through the filter of going, oh, well, if he did that when he was in the Marines, like, that would make sense. So it wasn't totally implausible. Perhaps depending on the way it had been fed to you, you might be going, oh, God, this guy's done a bit of everything, hasn't he? Do I believe it all? But I think it was the way it was done, a very sort of casual manner at home. Oh, yeah, I've done that. The daughter's there. Yeah, yeah. People were sort of buying into it. Mm. Yeah. It didn't seem particularly crazy. It just was one of those situations where he then took what he was doing with the group and then took it to an on, to an individual level. And then that's when things did start to change. So one of the girls that he had in the, oh, within the, I didn't say this to you before, I never really explained it, but when I was talking about how I couldn't quite get my head around how he lived on in, in a dormitory door, style. Yeah. It was sort of like a two-story place with individual bedrooms and a, a communal living area kind of thing. But they all knew like if someone was in a bedroom or whatever else. Anyway, he started doing these things where he'd be talking to one of them and it would end up they talked all night. And it was they weren't having sex. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't yeah, anything like that. They, they could hear them talking. And there was one girl in particular called Isabella Pollock and Isabella was from Texas and had a pretty rough upbringing from all accounts and drugs and alcohol played a, a big role in her family home and she was very depressed and you, you see all these photographs of her she's a very beautiful girl totally hair covered her face you know there's always a bit of hair covering her you know not part of the group not quite giving like everybody else was and then Larry has a night with her they have a chat and he starts talking to her about her childhood and basically saying it's not your fault this is the the way you've been parented it's been not good enough you you've got great potential and I can help you and that's how it starts and then he would do that with each of them and what you'd find is that each of them and unsurprisingly I mean I don't think it matters even our at our age all of them had something that was their concern their insecurity mm. their mm. background whatever it was something that made them vulnerable for him Absolutely. to Absolutely you know it's all yeah. pretty textbook stuff and then he would work on that so what was happening at this point is you're finding that of the group, some were really starting to go, oh, well, she seems much happier now that she's been spending a bit of time with Larry. And some were like, nah, not interested. And others were sort of like, um, maybe I could, maybe, maybe he would talk to me. Maybe I could approach him with something that I'm concerned about. And sure hmm. enough, a couple of them did that. So Santos, who was, I think still at the time, Talia, whose daughter's uh, boyfriend, he approached him and he said, you know, Larry was always the kind of man I want to be. He just seemed in charge. He knew what he wanted. He was masculine. He was, you know, whatever. He just got on with things. He was a doer. And so he sort of went to him and, you know, so he starts chatting to Santos. And then there's another guy called Dan. Dan had been dating a girl called, I was going to call her Devon. I think her name's Raven. I don't know why I got the two words confused, called Raven. And Raven is probably the voice of reason in the sense that she never mm never sort of is interested in Larry and what he's got to say. And she and Dan are in a relationship and Dan goes to speak to Larry and Larry basically says, yeah, you better cut it off with Raven. So he basically oh. just says, that's it. So Raven had. A, so he did because Larry yeah. said break yeah. up with Raven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay then, sure. So the original. Because my potential won't be reached if I continue with her. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. the kids that were in the house originally, Talia yeah. is the daughter. 
It's impressive. I've got to say it's impressive because there are a number of times I've told younger people to break off the relationships (laughs) they have and they have completely ignored me. So I'm impressed by how much influence he had. Yeah, well, the the relationship was troubled, but when he, he went to Larry to see how he could, you know, help and mm. then yeah that was that was actually the last time I think they even spoke. Talia was the daughter in the house. Santos was and then, but they did break up but Santos was Talia's boyfriend. He goes to Larry to get help. Isabella was the girl from Texas who was very vulnerable and very and I think she was like the first person and she had yeah. a very very good connection with Larry very early on and basically it changed her life there's some footage where early on I think the first Christmas Isabella is due to fly back to Texas for Christmas and I do not know why this is all filmed but it's all filmed or recorded actually so I better wait and see and Isabella calls her mum and says I'm not coming home but I'm not going to tell you why my friend Larry's going to tell you why so Larry gets on the oh, yeah. phone and oh. says to the mum, and the mum's, you know, she's right. done it tough. She's done it pretty tough. At top. Yeah, she's done it it's, tough. Right. And he says, look, I'm just here to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm only looking out for Isabella, but I know, having spoken to Isabella, that if she comes home, she will kill herself this Christmas. <gasps> she's been suicidal and basically you've got to admit you've been a pretty terrible parent in the past. What? She had a really rough upbringing. But we're working on things and things are getting better and, you know, I'm, I'm sure she'll be better. But for now, I think it's really unwise that she goes, like, I think her life's at risk. So the mum's sort of like, oh, I, well, I don't know. Okay, I, you know, I don't want her to kill herself. You know, I God, I can't believe things are that bad, you know. And, you know, and the guy's talking to her, right? So he's mm. called and, you know, he's not like some just figure in the background. He's talking, he sounds, you know, he's the friend of a, sorry, the father of a friend that she's living with at college. And I imagine it just must have felt a million miles away, just like a totally different environment from Texas to this, you know, elite university in New York. I can't even imagine. So, you know, that's kind of it. So Isabella doesn't go home and, to be frank, she never does ever again because she starts becoming the thick of this sort of relationship with, mm. with Larry. So that's Isabella. Dan, Dan was the boyfriend of Raven and he lived in the house as well, but Raven didn't live there. She just spent a lot of time with him. And Raven was always like, I'm not not really comfortable with your friend's dad. I think that's all a bit weird. And, like, she would sort of joke and say things, but no one was sort of catching on. So she was being sort of distanced, you know, intentionally by them. So Dan now starts to um, spend a lot more time with Larry because Larry's telling him, look, I'm going to show you how to be a better person. And a lot of that comes down to being a more sexually aware person and finding how to be, and, you know, I'm going to show you how to get sort of sexual prowess. And, you know, at one point Dan had said to him, you know, I, I wonder if I'm gay. And he's like, it's all recorded. I don't know why it's all recorded, but no, you're not gay, but I'm going to show you how, you know, you need to be with women. So he was sort of tapping into each of their insecurities and what they were concerned about. Yeah. There are another two people called Gabe and Juliana. And Gabe and Juliana, they just weren't interested. And I, I don't know exactly how they didn't become part of the group, but they resisted or they weren't interested or they just did their thing and they just it, it kind of felt like it was kind of quite an organic thing. The ones who got closer got very close and just started hanging out together to the exclusion of the others and the others sort of got on and did their life, you know, at university and whatever else. And that just leaves one other character, which is a girl called Claudia or Claudia. And Claudia... Claudia apparently had been a bit bit crazy, like she was loud, fun, you know, she was always pretty mad and everyone kind of loved her for that. And then once she started talking to Larry, she was starting to share with everybody the fact that 
she she sort of said, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to smoke drugs anymore because I think, you know, I'm schizophrenic. And they're like, what? You didn't, you, you weren't schizophrenic a week ago. Where have you got your diagnosis from? And it was Larry. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, not smoking drugs is <laughs> a good or a bad thing. It's just that once he started giving them each their narrative and then he would start working on that, each, everyone had their own story, right, and their own connection with Larry based on what their individual circumstance was. And they all just seemed to start to eat it up. So it was not a particularly long period of time that they even, well, I guess it was long. I, it, the whole thing goes over a number of years. But mm. but you think at this point this must be, you know, some time. It, it wasn't really. I think he only lived on campus for about a year. Yeah, so how long's the degree? <laughs> yeah, well, though, he was on campus with them for about a year. Right. That in itself is so wrong, right? Mm. You would have thought at some point, and Sarah Lawrence, they say, and they, you know, they maintain now, they never once had a complaint. There's no record of anyone ever even reporting him, let alone complaining about him being there at yeah. that point. Nothing. Oh, it was everyone's right. mate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how liberal and how laid back you need to be, but no one was saying anything. You would have thought a place like that, you'd have to be a student to stay there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm pretty sure you can't have guests, let alone your dad sleep there for a year. A year, it's just not weird. even like a couple of nights. A yeah. year. I mean, I don't know how close to a year or over or under it was, but roughly, you know, he arrived in 2010 and he left in 2011. One of the things that he introduced whilst at Wood 9 was, and I think this is really important because for me it's sort of one of the key tenets of the things that sort of happens. And it's not just they don't go into it a lot, but for me it felt like it, it really played into what, he would then go on to tell them about themselves and how they'd arrived at that part in their life and why they felt the way they did. And he had this thing which was he called bad parenting disorder mm, and geez. basically they were all obviously all victims, victims of, of bad mm. parenting disorder. So mm-hmm. no matter what background they had, and some had perfectly normal backgrounds, he could find any little mm. thing that, you know, would, was a problem for them and then he'd build on that. And then there was just pure fabrication. So mm. then he would start to do things where he would introduce ideas that were not f- true. Like he would have a, like they would have photographs. Like being from when a they were CIA little... agent. <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden maybe you've been, you know, interfered with. Maybe there was some sexual abuse, things like that that oh. became, first of all, introducing it and then extrapolating that to something that happened in their real life. So therefore you must have been, mm-hmm. actually it was your dad, you know, all this kind yeah, of retrofitting right. mm-hmm. what was happening. Yeah. And I think of all the things that he does, that is a real starting point for me where I go, at that point would I go as an intelligent person who'd moved away from home, why would you start saying that or, or maybe there's some truth in it? This is the point for me where I think some of them must have been open, not open, but that's, you know, he didn't say it to any of them at a point and they walked away and went, oh, he said this. He'd already got them to a point where they were believing in what he said before he introduced this, yeah. but then it only played so beautifully into the other bigger picture or bigger narrative that he'd say about their particular situation. You know, so essentially they all believed, I think, pretty much that they'd been abused and they had terrible parents. But because of him and his quest for potential, he was going to show them the truth. He always talked about the truth. He was going to show them the truth and he was going to allow them to find a way to be a be- the best version of themselves. I just don't like the sound He's of where this bloke, is going. He's a good bloke, isn't he? He's a tough bloke. Oh, so I really don't like sort of this set going. the scene. So that's, that's what sort of happened at Sarah Lawrence on campus. It was lots of chats and, you know, them feeling really connected and part of something that was bigger and that Larry was really helping them, this 
great guy was making was going to help them be the best version of themselves Mm -hmm. leave sort of trauma behind by dealing with it talking with him about it finding ways to deal with it and then moving ahead I've there is a quote here that I'd like to say and it says there's an old saying that if you put a frog in boiling water it'll leak right out if you slowly increase the temperature the frog won't realize it's in danger until it's too late isn't that awful but yeah you know and at first the students living in the two-story dorm known as Slonan Woods 9 luxuriated in the warm atmosphere that Ray created in their home. So they really just felt warm and fuzzy. He Mm. made them feel things and they could talk about things that they couldn't with other people. They had this little group. They were feeling like they were part of something pretty important, I think. And they had they had an adult paying attention to them and and taking them seriously and nurturing all of those feelings. By all accounts, they would say he was, they thought he was the coolest, most charismatic they just, you know, sort of like, oh, my God, he's a real adult and he's done real things and, and he's paying attention to me and he's giving me his time. He's a couch surfer. I've read that Isabella believed that he saved her life because she was suicidal and she said without him I wouldn't be here now and he absolutely saved my life. So I think that they didn't start to see the shift when things started to get a little bit different, you know, start to, you to turn the heat up a bit. They didn't see it come. Or maybe they saw it coming, but they were still so kind of in love with him in a way. Do you know what I mean? That's what it sounds Inanimate, like. Totally. I've got a crush on him. Yeah. yeah. Then Ray bit like you and um, Harry Styles. A, bit like, a lot like me and Harry yeah. Styles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a year after living with them, he announces that he's moving out. And he no! moves into he moves into an apartment um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And this is when I had to do, do the look. And apparently, like it literally is thirty minutes away from campus, so it's not that far. You only have to sort of go beyond the park and then through the Bronx, and it's on the other side. Because I thought, well, how will they get to uni if there's a connection there? Is that still there? It's not a problem at all. So he invites Talia, his daughter, and the friends to come and live with him for free. He's not working, remember. He's just hanging around with the kids. So I did wonder how he could afford this. I wouldn't say it was a flash apartment. It looked pretty flash because it's in New York and it's in a nice area. From what I understand, everything in New York is expensive. Correct. And it was small. It was just a one-bedroom apartment. And it is revealed in the um, documentary that the um, flat is actually owned by a guy that he met in jail. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't pay rent. So he didn't say that he was going to have all those people living with him, but he basically moves into this perfectly, you know, adequate flat in the upper, on the Upper East Side and then invites the gang to join him. And so they do. So how many of them are there in a one-bedroom apartment? The ones who go to live with him are... Talia, Isabel, Santos. Yep. Talia, The other bloke who got influenced, but not Raven. Raven's not having a bar of it. The ones who are definitely there are Talia and Santos and Isabella and Dan. And I think Claudia might be there to start with, but she's not always there. But anyway. So but five basically, people, it, possibly six in a one-bedroom apartment. Yep. And there's footage of the apartment and basically they put all the mattresses or they get mattresses and put them into the living room. It is just, it looks like a bit like hoarders, to be honest. It's just what? a dump. Yeah. And there's footage of them that first Christmas with Christmas music, putting up a Christmas tree with lights on it, and they're all so happy. And, you know, they're just Did they have to hang it off the ceiling because there was no room on no, the floor? There was a little mattress yeah. the tree, but it was just stuff. wouldn't say it was like. And that fry pan. Early, early waters, just a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Cigarette butt omelette, anyone? 
mm, delicious. It was interesting because Dan talks about, he said, you know, when he told his father that he was going to move in with Larry, because they, they, a lot of them had told them about Larry, told their parents about Larry because they thought Larry was so fabulous. Larry's and, spoken to at least Isabel's mother. And interestingly, Santos's parents are, I think, from the Dominican Republic. And Santos grew up in a really poor, poor house mm. with, again, dysfunctional, but you know, his parents still together and they're sort of okay. But, you know, these kids, to get into these universities, and I don't know who was paying for it, I presume they're on some of them on scholarships, scholarships and stuff, yeah. they must have been really clever, you know, yeah. or very accomplished or have done a lot of work to get there. Yeah. It wasn't just like they just turned up. But Dan looked like he was from, you know, his parents seemed pretty switched on. I, I saw them interviewed. And as he, he said to Dan at the time, it sounds like a kind of cult, Dan. Mm. It sounds like you're brainwashed or something. So... Dan told Larry that. <laughs> he said, oh, you know, my dad's a bit worried, to which Larry said, people are so negative about the word brainwashing. I don't see what's wrong with it. That, that's what I'm doing. I'm washing your brain. Oh, yeah. So he turned it. It is. No. It's totally undoing. You've had your, you know, your bad parenting Yeah, Yeah, disorder. I'm resetting you in a positive way. And I'm washing trauma, it away. And I'm going to make... Your brain and you clean work again. Yeah, I'm yeah. fixing all you broken little souls. Always a good Aww, egg. Yeah, excellent. and you know, as Dan said, all I ever wanted to be was like him to never be unhappy or unsure. And I think that thing that not so much unhappy. I think people can somehow manage deal with dealing with being unhappy, but it's that uncertainty that you feel at different points in your life that you think. And it's certainly something as an adult that I sort of realised that it's such a big deal for a lot of people. I think. Maybe not so much for me, I don't think, but it must, I think it rocks a lot of people's belief in themselves or self or how they want to be portrayed or want people to perceive them. And I can understand that. So what then happens, I don't know that I can quite buy into it anyway. So (laughs) by 2011, so we're still early on, they've moved in and it's around this time that he's talked quite openly about the fact, yeah, I'm totally, let's, I'm washing your brain. We're going to sort you out. I'm going to wash that thought right out of your brain. I'm going to wash that thought right out of your brain. (laughs) I'm going to wash that brain right out of your head. (laughs) And send it on its (laughs) way. Things do start to take a turn for the darker side um, Mm. in Manhattan. He began forcing all seven students into intense, tear-filled group therapy sessions that ran well into the early hours of the Mm. morning. Often he recorded everything they said. This is this thing. I can't believe they record everything. This is like so much they did in Nexium. Yeah, Yeah. they're not. He's not thinking it's going to get you know bring me down. He's thinking so I can use against you. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. exactly the same technique. Yeah, and it was always about keeping them tired. And oh my god, you'd see them talking. They just look like shit already. Like they're already starting to look really you know fatigued. And oh, do I have to? And people just start talking absolute shit when they're that tired. I mean, I'm like, you just do anything to shut someone up shut something down move on you, your brain can't handle it he he then so this is like campaign of truly isolating them from family and friends insisting that they were broken and they were in need of fixing so where before when they'd been on campus for instance they were you know there just would have been more people that knew them around them he really had them much more isolated now hold up in this apartment in the sky just talking shit like 24 hours a day and they did start to see another side of his personality and this is when he started to really get angry and was much more aggressive so even from the slightest infractions he'd start to really react and there we go infractions I, you know this is so like nixium and this is where there's a whole piece on santos where he really starts to go for him you what because it's all filmed right so they can show you the situation. you watch this man 
this young guy, man, just fall apart and lose total sense of what is practical, Reality. real. Yeah. Mm. So it starts off, it, he's, he's talking about the fact that Santos doesn't respect his property. Because remember, he's paid for everything and it's all his kind of thing. It, it starts off with something as, you know, you scraped a, a sauce, a, a fry pan or a sauce, I what it was, on purpose. It wasn't because it had cigarette butts in it. And he starts screaming and he's like, you know, what were you thinking about while you were doing that? Who were you, who, why, why would you be so careless with my things? Why are you, what are you, who, why are you trying to hurt me? Why are you trying to hurt my belongings? Now, if someone said that to us, we'd say, fuck oh, off. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did it or it was there before or get a grip, right? But it's these things that escalate that he would then film something that started over like who scratched the saucepan, you did it, you did it, you admit it, and the guy starting off going, no, no, I didn't, to the guy then going finally, yeah, I did do it. Why did you do it? I did it to hurt you. You know, this stuff like this it was just mm. bonkers. Then he has he starts saying to Santos, what else have you done? What else have you broken? Santos then at one point, and they've got, it's all, they've still got all of this documented. Santos finds every single thing, every single thing I think that is in the house, in the apartment and takes responsibility for destroying everything and puts a financial amount on it. So I destroyed your speaker. I destroyed your spoon. I destroyed your this. And so it's a handwritten list of every item by value and what he then owes Larry. So he starts to really unravel and then he's trying to find ways of giving Larry this money. And it ends up being like hundreds of thousands of dollars. He approaches his parents at one point and says, can I have, I don't know, I don't know what he went off his parents because they couldn't afford it. But I think it was something, it was something in the vicinity of, it was huge. It was like $300,000 or something ridiculous. There wouldn't have been that much stuff in there with that much in the first place, I don't think. No. But, you know, things like that when I'm watching, I was like, oh, God, this is such a leap for me to make. I really, you know, you kind of struggle a bit with watching some of it because you're like, mate, just say, I didn't, but it's already so beyond that point that they just start to believe it. And he's always got an audience. So when he does this, he'll have someone filming and you often see someone just in the peripheral, your peripheral vision. So he will say, what is he saying? So then he'll get the other person to chime in as well. So it's sort of this group kind of. Shaming. Yeah, you did do it. You did do it. Yeah, I saw him do it. It's just bonkers. And because he'd said that he'd spent so long with, you know, these people in the CIA or whatever else, he'd say, I'm using these techniques and, you know, if you cross me, you're crossing these people and I've got people who are after me. So he starts to introduce this idea of mm. people after him, yeah. people who are, you know, well, you know, they're coming after me and by association they'll be after you as well. Equally, I've got so many connections in, you know, the, what's the word I'm after? Law and law enforcement or whatever else. Right. If you do the wrong thing, you'll you'll do jail time for this, for this, or you know these things that you've done for to me. Scratching my fry. For scratching pan. my fry pan. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds absolutely bonkers. Even as I watch it, I'm like, oh my god. I have to say, there were times watching the episodes that I thought, oh god, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to fall asleep because you just just say no, I didn't do it. And they're yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, they're showing you the whole bit of footage. They yeah, just sound broken. No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, 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 I did it. Oh, you know, oh, it just does your head in. But, you know, he'd spent so long convincing them of his backstory and who he was and his powerful friends that when you start to combine this idea of him telling them they've done something wrong, getting them to admit it, then he's got this thing all saying, well, if you don't admit it, there's a consequence. If you do admit it, there's a consequence. So they, there was no right place Not for them yet. to be in. They were just... No, it can't win. Starting to go absolutely yeah. loopy. And you see just the, the look of them, what they look like physically, how much they've changed. And 
things like they start to have like ticks and you know like they're they're doing stuff while they're talking their eyes are doing weird so it's it's the sleep really deprivation and oh, the, everything yeah turning them into you know Breaking them, making them mad. And that's what you yes. learn in the CIA, right? Breaking their sanity. Mm. Well, no. This is what you learn <laughs> when you go to a Nexium yeah. class. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because one of the things that I, I'd only heard quoted once, and it may have actually been from Dan, but Dan says, you know, when you're looking for a cult, you, you don't jo- go up, you don't go and join a cult, right? It, no. There's a, a process no. that happens, right? You wouldn't even know where to find one. Correct. Mm. And equally, he the said, what is unusual Google about it? this, it wasn't based on a religion. There was no, because a lot of them have like a religious kind of fervent, you know, so, you, that's not the right word, religi- religious sort of. Not always. They connections. Quite, yeah. Sometimes, yes, right. Not, you, you're quite right, not always. But if you're looking for obvious signs, and that's what he's saying, where the real red flags are, whatever else, it wasn't like they were saying, you know, this is our the isolation. Goal. Yeah. No, you're right, but isolating people, yeah. sleep deprivation, making them, the when you said in trouble for infractions, the yes. idea yeah. that there yeah. is one person who has control over everyone and you're there to please them, they yeah. become. It's not really about. None of them are really about religion. They're about the person, the cult leader, being correct. The God. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we've gone from this this space when he initially meets them and he he they feel, and they will all say it even in retrospect, he made them feel understood. Mm. They said he understood me, my personal issues. They He certainly understood my family. No one had understood my family. So that you put the two in context, that's where he starts to get this thing of them going, Oh, I feel so enlightened. That's why I'm the way I am because he understands me and he understands the family background that I've come from. You know, I've got this sense of community. This guy knows the truth. He's here to help me. So he takes them from that point to these knee, these petty infractions where it's like you've done this and all of a sudden you owe me $300,000 for this. It it's, feels like it's a leap, but it's just the consistency of doing this day in and day out that starts to become just a nightmare whilst they're in this apartment. It's a Chinese water torture type thing. You're yep. breaking people down constantly until One they say, sure, here's the 300 grand. So I don't know if it's, I think it's around this time that Santos has the great idea of thinking, do you know who else is really probably not in a great place? My sister. So his oh. sister is younger than him and oh, her name God. is Yelitsa, I think you pronounce her name, and the Yelitsa was um, an undergrad at Columbia. So, again, no dummy, uh, and she said she'd worked her whole life to go to university. That was her whole focus. And when she got there, she'd worked she, her whole. Lo- oh, sorry. You know, she worked. You know, again, they were very right. poor family. For- you know, she very focused on getting into a good university. Yes, yes. Um, but when she got there, she didn't feel like she'd made a connection with people or the institution or anything. It just, she said, she was really, really depressed. So when Santos invited her to the apartment. This must have been on a good day. She arrived and there were these, you know, it was, she said it was so colourful and there was all these young people, you know, who were just happy to be together and doing stuff. So obviously this is not when she's, he's being filmed, being tortured, you know, 2am in the morning. Jesus, yeah. So what do you think she does? She moves, moves in. Moves in, yeah. Oh, she does. Yeah. So Gosh, she she's sharing her own mattress. mattress or she just share everyone else's? <laughs> no, I don't know where she's, I don't know how it all works, but she's down in there as well. And... What he then starts to do is he kind of nearly, he starts to turn the brother and sister sort of against each other. Mm-hmm. He uses them. It's not like they, they've then got like someone who they can say, oh, I'll stand up for you. But he kind of manages to make it worse 
because remember she knows stuff about you and you've got the same upbringing and she views then she got this attention or you got that attention so he totally sets the siblings up against each other as well he mm-hmm. just an absolute piece of work so he's doing that and he starts to become incredibly uh, I don't know it becomes a little bit more sexual as well with a lot of them so he's sleeping with Isabella Gross. all the time she's kind of always like his main squeeze so they share a bed and I think other people go in there but then he's you know he's got Dan stripping naked and doing things to Dan you know to to make him feel like more of a man and then there's this scene where they show footage that's been filmed filmed? oh my god it's filmed I didn't see that but this bit is definitely filmed where he has pliers pliers yeah Mm -hmm. and he's got Dan's tongue by the pliers threatening him to admit to something he hasn't done and at the same time hitting with the hammer in his stomach Oh, God. And thankfully, not long after that, Dan actually left. Oh, well, yeah. And there was no one that doesn't even like, wasn't like, he, but he, you know, for him to leave, he, and it was very strange, he'd left and, you know, you're expecting some big story to come out of what happened. He didn't, he actually went back to college, but he said he went and took on two jobs. So he had no spare time and no contact and he never told anyone. He And he just didn't talk about it because he was so embarrassed that he had fallen into this situation. And he said, even at that point, he said, I wasn't using the terminology cold. I wasn't, he said, I didn't have the language to describe the experience. I did not know what had happened to me. I was you so wouldn't. embarrassed by what had happened. Yeah. And I just I got out and then I just blocked it out. I just didn't deal with it. I didn't talk about it, nothing. It wasn't like he'd gone and was saying to the other kids that, you know, Sarah Lawrence, oh, my God, this is what's happening. He just was mortified. Got on what, with shit and tried to forget yeah, it. So yeah, so he just didn't didn't deal. So, is he really so damaged? He's gone. I think he's okay, actually. He's written a book. So he's written the book called Sloan and Woods Nine, and that came out in, I think, about 21, and he played quite an instrumental role in getting the documentary to happen. So damaged, absolutely, but... A clever man, and I think he'll. I think he'll be okay. But they're all pretty damaged. Mm. Um, but yeah, so Dan got out, and he was the first one to sort of get out. And then you know we've got Ulitsia in there, so it's sort of always someone there to take their place, kind of thing. So Dan's gone, Ulitsia's there, and then at some point in the next little while, um, in amongst starting to make them all turn against each other and filming them constantly and getting them to pay money. He finds out that San- or Santos says, "I've, you know, I'd really like you to meet my big sister. She's coming to New York." Now, one. Santos's big sister, wait for this. Santos's big sister is in LA doing her psychiatry. Brilliant. I'm sure it's called. <laughs> She's already done. She he called it full ride. She had full ride at Harvard and full ride at Columbia. Wow. Jesus. So again, no, dummy. Dummy. this family. No, so you've had so the, of the three kids in the family, Harvard, Columbia, Sarah Lawrence, and Columbia, and she's now in LA because she studied in New York and she's gone to LA and she's doing her. What's, it's not your internship, but like you're actually she's about to qualify to become mm-hmm. a psychiatric yeah, doctor. It's clinical yeah. placement, clinical placement, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. she's working all the time. She's incredible. She's a vivacious, beautiful woman. Anyway, she comes to New York and. They go out for dinner and she meets Larry and she said it was kind of like love at first sight. She said oh. she thought oh, he was so enigmatic. No. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought she was going to rip him to shreds. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Oh, dear. I mean, I'll read you a little a quote. Oh, um, so her name is Felicia. And she says, I met Larry because he was helping my brother, helping my brother Santos, because that's the way Santos is also, you know, positioned it. Yeah. 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 Santos was happier and doing better, and then he was helping my sister, Yulitsa, and she was happier. 
I'd also met Talia when she was dating my brother and I loved her. So I had a lot of other people vouching for him. He was like a friend of a friend of a friend, cool, trustworthy, reliable. It didn't occur to me he would be the person he ended up being. Felicia claimed that Ray began to love bomb her with gifts and messages and depriving her of sleep. So what's happened is they've met in New York. She's gone back to LA and she's working in LA. So like she's doing, you know, rounds and whatever else. And then what would happen is he'd be sending her roses and gifts and whatever else, being incredibly generous. But then he would keep her on the phone and he'd try and keep her on the phone all night. Things like where she'd say, I've really got to go. Recordings really of all this. It's all recorded. I've <laughs> yeah. got to go. I've got to go. And then he would start to plant seeds of doubt with her about, you know, different things that are happening. Then he started to tell her that he was in trouble and that people were after him. Mm. And then unfortunately, by virtue of their connection, the fact that she was sort of falling in love with him, whatever else, she might be at risk. She'd be in trouble, So that spiralled very, very quickly to the point where this very, very highly educated doctor is holed up in her apartment where he has got her in LA on a mattress where she'd had to go and get little um, webcams so he could see her, talk to her all the time. And to cut a long story short, he ends up getting her out of there because she's not safe. He sends someone from, you know, special ops or whatever else to collect her. This has come up in so many stories now, right, Mm. where there's people sending people who are not really people from where they say they are to get her to New York and someone accompanies her the whole way to New York When she gets to New York, she's already a total nut job because she's so scared she's going to be killed. And he's the only one that can save her? Is that kind of the... Yeah, he needs to keep her safe so she needs to be with him. She says, once the exhaustion began to set in, he regaled and frightened her. Sorry, this this was in people, I think. He regaled her and frightened her with stories about how powerful individuals wanted him and, by extension, her, dead, and that he was the only person who could protect her. Not knowing what else to do, she moved to you know, to be with him in New York. Once in New York, Felicia discovered that Ray forced the female roommates to have sex with him as well as with strangers and that he would record the sexual encounters and threaten to post the videos online and send files to their families. He claimed it would help them overcome past childhood sexual trauma, even though Felicia said she'd never been abused as a child. This is what I'm saying. He says things have happened to them that haven't. He did this with everyone, she said. He rewrote everyone's childhood. And he said, all kinds of horrible things happened to me. He was saying that my dad had prostituted me and that I was sexually abused by him. All sorts of horrible things that were just not true. But she couldn't recognise that at the time, trust me, trust me. So she's arrived in New York and she says she was totally in love with him and believed that he was her boyfriend. And the first night they've gone to go to bed, Isabella's in bed and she said they had to sleep naked and Isabella's in bed with her hand on Larry's penis and she said, well, you know, what's going on here? And he said, oh, don't worry about her. That's just what makes her feel comfortable. <laughs> Fair enough. It's got a good grip on it, so I'm, I won't fall out of bed. How bad is that? <laughs> okay, so when they start showing you the footage of Felicia in New York, it is it's probably the worst footage, actually. She to- the, the brightest a lot, she, I reckon she falls the furthest. She just becomes crazy she's so scared to start with she's crying and going crazy then there's a picture of santos in front of her and every time she complains or she hits herself or something he hits himself so this is footage 
she's doing the wrong thing. He's like a tick slapping himself. They're, they're totally nuts. It is so, so bad to watch. So remember, and all three siblings are in at this point. Yeah. Then he starts to talk about the fact that their parents are involved. Their parents are trying to kill him. His parents know bad people and they always did. And from the very outset, they were trying to either kill them or trying to kill him. And he starts to present this story that Galitza, who is the little sister, had tried to poison Felicia when she was in LA. And so, of course, he manages to convince them all that that's true. So you have the little sister admitting that something's never happened, that, yes, you are right, I did try and poison you. Why? Because our parents were trying to kill you and I was working on their behalf. Like, it's just absolute madness. So it's descending constantly. He then takes them in 2013. So this is still early days, right? 2013, they go to North Carolina. And they go to North Carolina because he's inherited a house, I think, from his stepfather or something. And so he basically uses them as slave labour. They turn up at this house. He orders like all this sort of building equipment. He has them, he's on, he has them all on Adderall so they don't sleep and they work all the time. But it's all filmed. So you just watch them film. They're, they're digging trenches. They're doing things. And if it's not right, they redig a trench. And this was just honestly, Felicia sort of becomes a child. Like she's screaming and throwing tantrums. And then at one point there's footage of him holding her down, trying to calm her down. And she's screaming, saying, get off me. And I love you, Larry. I love you. I love you. Because they tell him all the time how much they love him. It is just absolute madness. So they're all still happy even while they're being slave labour and everything. I don't know. To the outside world, I think they are. And I, I didn't write this on my notes and I should have. But they go back to graduate. Santos doesn't. Santos has to take medical time out, no doubt. But Talia, Claudia, and (laughs) Claudia, Talia, and Isabella go back to graduate. So there is footage of them, and I think that's in 2013. So the same year. They, yes, that's right, actually. I think they went to graduate just before they went to North Carolina. They go to graduate. There's footage of them, and Raven sees them on this, obviously, at the graduation. But the next day, there was like one cruise, and the girls went on the cruise. And she walks up to them, and she has this conversation. She said they wouldn't really speak to her. And she said, You know, you're in a cult. And she said, I, When I was saying that, I didn't really mean a cult, but she said, I knew it wasn't right what was going on. Something weird was going. She said, And they wouldn't talk to me. And she said, and That was kind of the last time I ever saw them. But she said, They would only talk to each other. And so that was Claudia, Talia, and Isabella. And Santos didn't graduate, as I said, because he had dropped out because he was just yeah. too much a mental case. Galicia was obviously too at much Columbia. A mental case. And Felicia. That's the technical she, term. Then they turn up in um, North Carolina, and that, that's just awful to watch. I would call this the beginning of the end, and something actually about to happen. In 2018, so quite a few years later, um, a Sarah Lawrence graduate finds a website online about Claudia and it features Claudia. So it's called oh, Claudia. I've forgotten what it is. Hang on imagine, a minute. Imagine, imagine her first surname was Claudia Jones. It's called ClaudiaJones.com. I've forgotten it's mm-hmm. And it is Claudia being filmed by Larry admitting to the fact that she had tried to poison Larry and Talia and other Sarah Lawrence students when she'd been there. Yeah. So she sat oh. on like this dishevelled bed and it's Larry interviewing her and he's saying, you know, are you being coerced? Are you being paid to say this? Are you being, you know, is this the truth? And yes, 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 yes. And she's just a shadow of her former self. She used to be a little bit heavy. She's super skinny, just looks terrible. 
And so all of the, you know, you know, the graduates or whatever from Sarah Lawrence who'd gone at the same time, they all start talking to each other. They'll go, were we poisoned? Were you poisoned? And like, and I like, don't well, remember that. Side yeah. of that I don't remember it. I don't believe I, don't know, I was. I don't hang on, no, but I wouldn't yeah. say I was poisoned. Yeah. No one said, what is this? This is bullshit. What is going on? So at that point, one of the graduates reaches out to another former graduate of Sarah Lawrence called Ezra Marcus. And Ezra Marcus um, is a reporter with... It's called The New Yorker, which is basically where the cut um, yeah. article comes from. Based on that nine, uh, sorry, 2018 website, they start researching from there. And what do you think they find when they try and look into the website? There's a phone number on the website and they call, the, oh, sorry, they do the search for the phone number and the search for the phone number comes up with an escort agency or an escort, maybe not an agency, an escort landing page let's say and who's the escort the escort is claudia and she looks quite different than she used to and she has there's her rates and she is expensive let me tell you (laughs) anyway so basically the upshot of it is that claudia has been a prostitute and she'd been sex trafficked by larry he has told her that she will do time in prison or she'll be killed or whatever else because she's tried to poison him right so the only way she can make that good or make it better is by giving them money to try and help them with their treatment for the fact that they've been poisoned. You're not going to believe this, but over I think a period of I think it was three years, she earned and gave him close to $3 million. <gasps> what? Isn't that insane? I'm like, that's Hang on. big bucks. You can earn $3 million? Right yeah, we're in the and wrong career. What um, on earth? Isabella, I have been doing it all wrong. Yep. I'm was she Isabella, hot? She did look pretty good um, in some of the photos. But I mean, they were obviously Jeepers. highly. I did see somewhere. I was like, it was. I think it was like seven grand an hour. It was like several grand for an hour. It was like expensive. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't. Really I don't know. Matter. I did probably some crazy stuff. I don't know. But no, she's not hot. And answer the question. Isabella. <laughs> and, <laughs> so the right hand bird, you know, Isabella and mm-hmm. Larry were basically extraordinary. So they were making her. They would go over to, and she moved out. She lived somewhere else. I suspect that's where she was running her show Escort from. Agency yeah, from. Uh, and they would go and collect money from her, and that's how she paid her name. And she thought she was doing it to avoid going to jail, people finding out the fact that she had, because she believed that she poisoned people, and that's how they managed that little scenario. So that loops back into. I'm still just out. reeling at seven thousand dollars an hour. I don't. I mean, isn't it awful the things um, you take out of these things? What you do you do for that? You don't have to be hot to get it. I mean, I, it's all about the clientele and probably just chat and be nice to them in some ways. Can you, I'm sure can there you might look be more a bit of... into that because we could set up a business, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to Ferraris and helicopters and shit. Yeah, three yeah, years. Hang on. Google incognito mode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So uh, oh. that's where I think people were then like, what is what is going on? This is yeah. big. What is this guy running? That's big money, right? And that's only just part of what you're seeing. Remember other people have given you money for different things throughout. That's just one girl's contribution. And what is quite interesting is because Isabella's notes were, or book taking, if you book, what do you call it? Bookkeeping was so detailed. It's every, It shows every time they were, it, the whole thing is so detailed. I cannot begin to tell you. I wouldn't necessarily recommend you watch. I didn't particularly enjoy the documentary, but the amount of detail they've got on different things, like it blows my mind like and it'll have every date and how much money they went and collected you know they collected fifty thousand dollars from things like that it was just remarkable anyway so for 12 months ezra marcus researches 
Larry Ray and his family and his background and whatever else. And he sort of comes up with more sort of stuff about who he was. And some of the stuff he said was really true. Some of it was a little, quite a lot of embellishment in terms of his background. It says he, you know, he'd been born in Brooklyn, New York. He'd worked in Wall Street in the 80s. You know, he'd worked in insurance, construction, gambling. He didn't have a college degree, but he was he was pretty savvy when it School comes to doing hard knocks. Yeah, yeah, presented well. He did serve in the military, but for 19 days, so at one point they were saying, you know, <laughs> he, he wasn't in there. But somehow he manages to remain in contact with prominent military figures, don't know how. Ray also claimed to have worked for the CIA. There is no evidence that he was ever employed by the Central Intelligence Organization, is it? Because they wouldn't distance themselves after this came out, would they? No. He was instrumental in the fall of um, the... Oh, what was he called? The police commissioner? The New York City... It's not Yeah, police commissioner. And this was the guy that had... He'd been like his groomsman or something and he often came up because they kept he kept using this guy's name his surname is Kerrick K-E-R-I-K and he would so everyone was aware of him because he was always after him so and because he was in the police department he'd use this his name again with the kids saying you know he's coming for me he's coming for you I've got contacts if he doesn't take me down he'll take you down if you do anything wrong he'll put you in jail so you had all bases covered he'd been involved he'd been beaten up by somebody really badly hard to believe yep because of the because of lying and stuff there. And Kerrick was later pardoned, the guy who'd been he'd helped taken down by Trump. So there were all these bits that were kind of really interesting in terms of who he was connected to, you know, being convicted of fraud, you know, he'd claimed to have aided in a ceasefire in Kosovo. There was just one thing after another <laughs> after another. You know, people go, you know, of course he's someone special. You know, there's this footage where they're talking to Felicia, the really smart one, she's talking about, you know, he's so amazing, you know, of course he is. That's why NATO calls him when they've got a problem because he can do things. He can unlock stuff. He makes what? things happen. He can unlock yeah. stuff. Is he a plumber? Nah. It's a plumber. <laughs> yeah, me shit is up the blitz. He had a terrible divorce with Talia's mum, but I can't find any information on the mum or the little sister. It's like Good all them. I know is that when that when she'd called the police, he was so manipulative that they turned up and Talia and Ray, sorry, Talia and Larry said, She's the abusive one, so he got custody of the kids. It was just one thing after another like that where he would just be doing the wrong thing. He'd already been diagnosed with a personality disorder and when they went through, you know, the family courts during the divorce, someone said it was nearly impossible to give um, a proper reading on him because he was one of the most manipulative people that he'd ever come across. He has characteristics that are strongly suggestive of Pseudologica Fantastasia or Munchausen's disorder, I don't know what that means. A psychological examiner's notes from Ray's custody battle with his ex-wife claim that Ray is able to manipulate and control almost any situation which he finds himself, including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner, no matter how experienced that examiner may be. Mr Ray is very good at what he does, can be utterly charming, and one can be disarmed by his childlike simplicity and smile. But Mr Ray is no child, he is calculated, manipulative and a hostile man. The article comes out, and that's the article that I read mm. in the cut. So it comes out saying, what's going on at Sarah Lawrence? The Stolen Kids of Sarah Lawrence is what it was titled in 2019, New York Magazine. And then a New York police investigation starts from that point. Whilst he is being held, oh, it takes him 10 months, but 10 months later, he gets charged with racketeering, extortion, violent assault, sex trafficking, forced labour, money laundering and tax evasion. But where they find him, the FBI go and raid a house because they have to leave. He gets kicked out of the apartment in Manhattan. So he 
Yeah. Eight people dossing in. It all no starts yeah. yeah. and it's already falling apart at this point. But by the time this happens in 2019, there's just him and Felicia, the doctor, you know, yeah. the super doctor, and of course Isabella. It's just the three of them living in this terrible house that someone had loaned him or whatever else or lent him in New Jersey. So when they turn it up, they do that, and because he is then taken away shortly thereafter, and I don't know if it's a matter of weeks. I don't think it's long. The people who do the documentary, they go and meet with Isabella and Felicia at this point. Wow. And they're still totally brainwashed. Oh my God. Felicia is, her eyes go like this constantly. Wow. She's talking about how she calls him Honey Bunny, how she's in love with him, how, as I was saying, how NATO would call him. Like she's just enough. The house is dreadful. And they've got all these medical supplies in their living room where they all live together because they're all poisoned, right? They've all been poisoned. So they've got all this stuff available to them. Uh, you know, she's a doctor. Anyway, it's just madness. Yeah, but it just goes to show that anyone can be susceptible to this level of manipulation. Often people Correct. think that it's dumb people who get caught up in cults. Yeah. It's got to be stupid to not have seen it. Yes. But it's not. It's incredible. The right person with the right charisma and the wrong intent wrong can have intent. so yes, much so power awesome. over people. Yes, absolutely. So what then happens is you don't, in the documentary, you don't, you don't see Larry again. Like that's he's, you know, being held. And then they start to really delve into what's left, you know, where are these players that were you know in the in the thick of it and how have their lives been affected and over a period of like I guess it's only a couple of years you see them start to either come out from under that spell or not mm. and do they stop ticking when they come out from under the spell <laughs> not initially I have to say it takes a while I do have a little a rundown of where sort of everybody's at to sort of bring us to a sort of a close Claudia, who was the one who was the prostitute and had been sex trafficked and was the one who was on the big bucks, she did not participate in the um, documentary at all. You don't see her. So anything, any footage that you see of her is something that was from before or the one where it was like the website that was about her. She has rejoined her family and has a, a wife, I believe. Did, um, did she consent to being used in the documentary? Do you know? Anything that was used was already in the public forum. There wasn't really much footage of her being nothing happening to her. It was initial stuff where it was like photos and fun things and some recordings, but not a great deal. And then the actual one that was the website. So I don't know if she would. I have just feel like she wouldn't want that rehashed. Yeah. I anyway. did see somewhere, and I think a lot of them testified against him. I think Claudia was one of them as well. Claudia, yeah. Claudia. So I don't actually know. She doesn't feature in it. Dan, I spoke to you about before, so Dan wrote his own account in 2001, so that's Sloan and Woods 9, and he plays quite a big role in the documentary and I also think he played quite a pivotal role in helping them put people in touch with people and trying to sort of make bridges because all of them had fallen out with each other, right? That's not like they all left and went, oh, let's all hang out. There's a very interesting scene. A lot of them are being, you know, um, advised by lawyers themselves. So they're being told to either stay away or not stay away or talk to this one or not talk to this one. But then there's also, they're all so fearful of what the other person's connection still is or what their beliefs are about Mm. Larry. Yeah. You know, because that is a total trigger for all of them, depending on where they're at, what they what they thought was a certain situation. So it's it can be quite dangerous for them to even be dealing with each other. Mm. Santos and his sisters, uh, Yulitsa and Felicia, they were to- none of them had anything to do with each other. So wow. Santos was the first to leave. 
Um, Yelitsia, I didn't actually say this, but Yelitsia sort of escaped and left when they were in North Carolina. One day she walked out the front of the house and just left. Never came and back. Then had to yet. go into like public housing and whatever else. So she ended up graduating from Columbia, you know, in the years after, and she works in the arts now. Good but she that. has no connect. She had no connection till the very end. I oh, will get to that with her brother and sister. Mm, wow. And Felicia, she was the one that was an absolute. You know, she was just so brainwashed. It was unbelievable, mm. and it's taken her all these years but she they they really tracked her progression you could see she'd start to say something she goes actually that's not true that's not true and she says I know that's not true so she you, you can tell how clever she is again she goes that's not my voice telling me that that's not my voice that's Larry telling me that what the actual truth is is he's like she's talking about her parents because they had nothing to do with their parents so their parents lost three kids in this that's awful yeah and um, what is what is quite nice is by the end of the documentary, Santos, Yelitsia and Felicia are reunited and they're, they're sitting in like a, a park with Dan and it took the, uh, quite some months and because the, the older sister goes to the mum first and that's mm. the first connection and once that happens, she and her mum go to visit Yelitsia but so Yelitsia won't, won't see her. She's saying, I, I love you and they're talking through a door. She said, but I can't see you because I she said, I just can't trust what she, because she was, because the older sister became so entrenched in the hall. She's like, if she believes even a little bit of what Larry's saying, I can't go down that avenue again. I, I can't deal with that. Mm. Anyway, it, it takes them some time. Anyway, now they are all one happy, harmonious family with, you know, some pretty oh, big good. scars. But that is a nice upshot of it. Talia, we'd never see her. She's not in it at all. And we don't know where she is or what role she played. In the court case, she was described as being, you know, his co-conspirator, but she wasn't charged with anything. And then very interestingly, Isabella, who was described as his trusted lieutenant, she pleaded guilty of conspiring to money launder. And she will be um, sentenced later this year, which she could serve up to five years. But she did play quite a significant role, especially in the dealings with Claudia. Mm. And there's, there was a part where Claudia had said that they tried, they put a plastic bag over her head when they were taking money from her at one point. And there's actual, like, it's not footage, but there's a recording of that happening where they're threatening mm. her and you can hear the plastic bag rustle. And Isabella's saying, no, 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 that, that never happened. That's just not true. And Isabella is so clever and articulate, but she's still totally, I think, in like she won't see her own family. She won't speak to her parents. She won't do anything. And I think she's still in love with and spell over um, Larry. So that brings me to Larry and Larry... On April 6, 2022, 12 years after meeting them, he was found guilty on all 15 federal charges. Really? And then in January of this year, he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. So oh, interesting, Larry isn't it? Away. There you go. And that, friends, is a story of the years. stolen youth of Sarah Lawrence College. Goodness mm. me. Wow. That's crazy. It is a bit cray. I don't know if I missed it, but what happened to Talia, the daughter? She just left at one point, and then they don't really go into what happened. Right. Talia moved out of the apartment. Okay. Talia moved into the apartment, and then she moved out, and then she finished her degree. So when she's graduated, and the thing is, what's important is when um, they were living there, they still must have been going to classes to have graduated, right? Except yeah. for Santos, who, who, who went, dropped out. Who, who yeah. had to drop out because he was a, a shadow of himself. But it's... There are bits of watching this um, documentary that I, I mean, I don't actually know that I would have got through it if I hadn't had to get through it. Mm. It's so hard to watch and listen to what's being said to them. Yeah. And you just want to shake them and go, yeah, come on, you know. Yeah. 
it's bullshit. Of course you're not scratching a pan if you did. Mate, who are you? I'll go and get you, you another one. Five bucks, whatever it is. guy who's loafing <laughs> on our sofa. Yeah. Back it up, toots. I don't care who you are. But, you know, when people start to be fearful of their life and whatever, it's like, no. Nah. So I'm happy to go first for the sentencing. Go on in. Okay. Do it. So while you were doing the story and telling us about the charming and wonderful and gregarious individual that Larry Ray is, I looked him up and had a little look at him because I thought, you know, I'm always oh. interested in what these people look like, you know, like Should not the that looks or everything, but, no. you know, and in his earlier years you thought something, oh, he's ordinary, but, you know, okay, I can see that he's pleasant enough looking. He's not really bad. But later, as he ages, he turns into this just unattractive, overweight, middle-aged, oh. baldy white Fat man. bastard. Fat, thank you. And so my sentence for him is a little bit of a swanny nut punch in as much as I want to get a shrinking machine and shrink him down so that he becomes around the same size as mini-me. Nice. And and I'm going to strip him naked. What do you you call those people again? Very small people. I'm just going to shrink him down to be a very small person and I'm going to put him in a cell with fat bastard. Ooh, oh, because no. as we know, he wants to eat the baby all the time, and he can get in my belly. Get in my belly! So he's going to run around. <laughs> Look at the baby! Who gave me a baby? Get in my belly! So I'm going to put him in a cell, and he's going to be running around, and he's going to have nothing. He's going to be naked, and he's going to be terrified all the time because he terrified these people. He, you know, mm. and he won't be able to sleep. So he'll experience the sleep deprivation because the whole time he'll be waiting for Fat Bastard to come and eat him because he thinks he's a treat. I don't quite know. Under, I never quite understood any of that. But I'm going to use Mike Myers' genius and that is my sentence nice. for Larry Ray. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, is there nice. a bar fridge in this cell? So he can slam oh, his so head in the door? In. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Pillow and a couple case. of pillowcases. now. There is now. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, nice. <clears throat> Well, so mine is, I don't know, maybe it's a bit complicated, but <laughs> no. I want to, I'm going to start up a new reality TV show called I Used to Be a Cult Leader, Humiliate Me. And what's going to happen like is it. oh, it's, like it's it. going to yeah. be based in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where because they end up. he thinks he's so smart, well, he's, he's in there for 60 years, right? So he might as well do something yeah. fun whilst he's in there. Because <laughs> he thinks he's so smart and he likes to Community control everyone else, yeah, yeah. he's going to have a lobotomy Ooh. so that he has no brain. But, oh. but well, not that he has no brain, but he can't really have a lot of thought. But he still has a heightened sense of being humiliated. Hmm. And then because he's had his lobotomy, he's very easily controlled, so you can just tell him what to do. And so what happens is each week people can send in requests of what they should do to him and then the prison inmates get to make him do whatever it is that people request and it comes up on TV and so everyone can sit around and watch him get humiliated. Okay. Hmm. It's not a Hunger Games type thing, is it? No, I'm just (laughs) trying to think. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little like bit it. like a, a sick version of what was that show with Jim Carrey in it? The Truman Show. The Truman, Truman Show, show. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Have you seen any of Squid Game? Oh, only a little Speaking bit. Speaking of really bit, sick. It was a bit awful. weird for me. Right. Did you watch it all? 
No, I only watched it through Gogglebox. That's how I watch all of that trash because I never watch any of it, never waste any of my time. But I watch, you know, three minutes of it or a minute of it and people's reaction and I think I've seen enough. But, yeah, your your show's got a little Squid Game kind of vibes about it. Yeah, probably I'm all right with that. Yeah, I'm all right with that. Just so we don't have to watch it. I thought that what I might do is give him what he's been saying is happening all along. I think I might poison him. (gasps) didn't see that coming no i just kind of thought that all the things that he's said that have been you know that he's fabricated to suggest that you know you're hurting me you're doing this to me this is happening to me well let it all happen to him i'm comfortable with that whether it be poisoning whether it be people who are out to get get him making that he scratches (laughs) my bed um yeah, I, I was trying to think of one maybe other fill poisoning. His, other um, than scratching his fry pan, maybe you could fill it full of durry butts. That would piss him off. Oh. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, anything that he sort of had fabricated, I know, it's pretty horrendous. It stayed with me for this video. I can't believe it didn't catch fire. Like as, as it filled up yeah, and you put no, another one in. Oh, just so gross. All right. Just Sorry, rude. I'll get off that. Yeah, so you were going to say? I was trying to think of something in addition to the poison because, you know, there were so many things he'd said that were done to me, you're hurting me, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. But I suspect that the poisoning one feels like it was the one that involved the most people and maybe a little bit of sex trafficking on the side. But certainly the reason that people were having to pay him back, other than the fact that they'd scratched a saucepan, fry pan, sorry, was the fact that they, they, he said that they'd be attempted to poison him or attempt to poison someone else, so actually poison him. Well, my second one, which was pretty lame, but um, it played to your need to give him a bit more pain, was that he would have a pair of pliers on his tongue and he would be punched in the gut with a hammer. I thought of that, but I thought it was a bit too... I think the nice bit about poisoning is if you could perhaps, you know, prolong it. And so that he's aware that it's it's (laughs) happening to him. Yeah, okay. But it has to, but he can't you know, do anything about it. It's just that's what's happening. Okay. You know, he has no. And he just gets more and more sick yeah. and yeah. no control over it because that's no what the whole thing yeah. was about was control. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm satisfied with that. We all good? Cool. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right. Well, I've never heard of that one, so good one, Swanee. Yep, well played. Nice work. Oh, I just had an idea. Yeah. I mean, it might be about your, maybe this is where you got the lobotomizing from, but how about we take his brain out and wash it for him and pop it back in? Oh, yeah. that's a good that's idea. A good yes. Can we wash it with mm-hmm. bleach or something? Domestos. That's just hydrochloric acid. Can I admit something? I don't know what a lobotomy is. What actually is it? You can stick, an ice, stick a needle up Stick back, an ice pick up into the sort eye. of in the soft bit here and it goes into the your frontal Skull. lobe. And it damages the frontal lobe, which they thought, well, because it gives you brain damage, it kind of did work, but they thought the frontal lobe was responsible for all the bad things that people who were suffering from mental illness um, did or thought or whatever. So the idea was you'd stick this effectively like an ice pick up through your eye and damage, it's not pleasant, damage the frontal lobe. And a lot of people actually just died from the procedure and then others, you know, would basically in a vegetative state afterwards. So, Varying degrees so, of. Yeah. So that I understand. So when people talk about other people having frontal lobe damage, which is different to being a lobotomy because it's, it's in the more recent times, mm. like I've heard people say, oh, God, they must have frontal lobe damage. Is it because you lose? The frontal lobe the, the, controls so, your emotional so, responses to various things okay. and some of your responses. Yep. So there have been cases where people who have had some kind of terrible We're frontal lobe of injury... 
<laughs> no. I was going to say, I was going to say, what degree of success have you had with Ashmi? No, no, they've gone from... Varying degree. Oh, they've, gone being, they've gone from being really lovely and ordinary people getting on with the world to really not lovely people with, um, you know, sometimes aggressive tendencies, whatever, because yeah. they can't regulate their emotional response because of the damage okay. to the brain. Oh, I saw that recently. Come to think of it, there was a, a girl who'd had a cycling incident, like really, really bad, yeah. nearly died. Yeah. And then on the outside, she looked like she was recovering quite well. And then, but she did have to have a, she had a helmet on at different points, but looked still like this gorgeous girl. But then in her own notes, when I was like reading about her recovery, she was talking about her anger issues and how she's been having, she, she's trying to have sex with people all the time. And there's just things yes, that are impulse not normal control. Your impulse control, control yeah. seems to be affected. I must go look into that again. I remember at the time reading it thinking, Jesus Christ, that's, that's tricky. All right. Great story and good chat. And miss you already, already, but I'll see you next week. Yay. See you next Thursday. Enjoy your week. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.